A Christian mind is not one that is trained to think only about Christian topics. It is a mind that has learned to think about everything from a Christian perspective. Christianity provides a comprehensive view of the world. Christianity is a worldview. Worldviews are the grids. They are the lenses through which we frame all of reality. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> Season three. We back. You love Cody. Cody. Welcome back to season three of the Black Real Podcast. Hey. Um, we've been away for a minute and um we've been away for a minute, man. So in the room we've got Damien Israel <laughs> and yours truly, you know. Kanye West doesn't like black people. Oh my days. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot, I cannot. Okay. So season three, what can people look forward to? Um that's a good question. I think even in the amount of time that we've been away, so much has happened. So we're really excited to come back and open up some of these conversations. I think um, the way in which topics are readily coming up, it means that we should be looking to have a greater purview again on how the scriptures can speak to a range of issues. So like today, I think we've got a lot of stuff that we wanted to talk about. Mm. And um, I think that's what we can look forward to more more mm. thoughtful more wide-ranging conversations hopefully yeah um we definitely want to see a lot more um listener interaction mm-hmm. i think that would be something that would be really helpful just in terms of directing the conversation on our end but also trying to see people engage with the topics that we're talking about seeing some different responses so we don't end up having just a cocoon hearing yeah. our own voices um we want to see how people are responding to what we're putting out but also see how we can be challenged in terms of our own Christian walk because I don't think we just come to do this to educate or engage other people we also want to learn from people that are listening to us too mm-hmm. where we can so hopefully just more more wide ranging conversation Israel? Completely agree I don't actually know what to add to that I mean we want to make improvements from, from season two and we want to make it more more engaging more fuller um, I think personally on my on my side as well making sure that we actually interact a lot more with the content mm. um which i think obviously benefits us but it best benefits the listeners as well and it makes sure we're fulfilling our our goal more faithfully so yeah more of that really more mm. life yeah and some banter sometimes if necessary <laughs> We made it sound so serious. That is true. It's a podcast, guys. <laughs> so, okay, what are we talking about today? So that that quite outlandish statement I made about Kanye West is actually I should preface that by saying, <laughs> according to some people, Kanye West doesn't care about black people. So, if you've recently been following Kanye West's stream of consciousness on Twitter, mm-hmm. where he's been um, engaging, yeah, Donald Trump. US president. Some people don't even refer to him as Donald Trump. They just call him 45. Wow. <laughs> um, and I wouldn't necessarily say his support of Donald Trump. I would probably more so say endorsement of some of Donald Trump's policy, the Make America Great Again campaign, which is obviously an issue for a lot of people. Um, some stuff that was quite hot topics while I was away in the US. So I was following mm-hmm. on Twitter, stuff like, um, well, we'll get into that. Maybe we'll start with we'll start with Kanye West and Donald Trump, and then 
we'll just see how the conversation flows. Okay. Um, right, so like over the weekend, if you are on Twitter or really if you're just on any kind of popular social media, you might have heard about Kanye's, I'll call it a stream of consciousness because I don't necessarily think it was a rant. But in the um, emotion of, should I say, free speech and free, free thinking, Kanye basically publicly voiced his endorsement of Trump um, talking about how you don't have to agree with Trump but the mob and by the mob I'm assuming he means popular sentiment in America slash people with leftist ideology can't make me not love him he was like Trump has dragon energy kind of thing you magic <laughs> I don't know what that means I mean either <laughs> um, but he was basically out there saying listen I'm backing this president either because I agree with some of his policies or just the way in which he speaks his mind to things so I think Kanye was approaching it from that perspective and Kanye got a bit of back I'll say a bit of backlash Kanye got quite a lot of backlash um, from some popular celebrities but also from swathes of um, I would say parts of the black community as well as do I say leftist leaning I would actually say non-conservative um, ideologists and so I was going to ask you guys do you think that Kanye's endorsement of Trump and the kind of Make America Great Again campaign is problematic? Uh, in the Problematic. That's a that's an interesting way to phrase it. I don't. Well, you could you could choose another you could use another term. I think he's free to support whoever he wants to. Um, I also, I think some people are starting to do this as well. I also don't like the fact that, um, unintentionally or unintentionally, I don't like the fact that um, people who make their name through uh, music or sort of like uh, the art industry are implicitly. Um, political spokespersons okay. so I don't think his endorsement necessarily entails any sort of obligation for the black community or the artistic community as a whole um, no differently to I don't know some random person on the street who's black say supporting um, or promoting Trump I do recognise obviously he has a massive platform and I think the platform is probably what's problematic mm. um, I think as a person I, I looked in and I thought, well, okay, he supports him. I personally don't see eye to eye with it, but I'm not going to lose any sleep about it. So, um, I mean, one of one of the people I think who was critical of Kanye's public endorsement, at least, was John Legend. So you might have seen the text right. back and forth between Tactic John Legend. Tactic to manipulate my free thought. <laughs> <laughs> right. So John Legend was like, as you know, what you say really means something to your fans. We can't deny... He's Kanye influenced. West is an yeah. iconic global music superstar. Yeah. And not even just music. I think a lot of people really dig his fashion. I don't, but, um, you know. So I see that little shit. <laughs> um, so many people who love you feel so betrayed right now because they know the harm that Trump's policies cause, especially to people um, of colour. Don't let this be part of your legacy. You're the greatest artist of our generation. And Kanye's response was kind of like, you're trying to muzzle me mm. by bringing up the fact that I have a large fan base, mm. many of whom may not agree with Trump, but I'm entitled to think three, to f think free, freely, to think freely. Mm -hmm. Enunciation is important, guys. Um, Mary, who did you kind of, I'm not going to say side with, 
But from from your perspective, um, you I, camp John. <laughs> <laughs> I was I would definitely liked some of the points he was making. I know he retweeted a couple other people that was saying that black people don't actually have to be Democrats. Mm-hmm. And that whole idea that if if I'm a black person and if I'm now going for a conservative position, I'm almost. I almost don't care about black people and their and their sufferings and their struggles. But a lot of people were critical to Kanye West because when he first began, if you remember, he's iconic. Um, George Bush doesn't care about black people. He had a lot of quotables from his first album around his mum, his grandmother being in the sit-ins and mm-hmm. and him almost being like a pamphlet and, and, and for the rights of black people. And now you're moving with someone or you're endorsing someone who is arguably completely against all of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's almost, it's almost something as, like, have you because you're affluent now because you're successful you've now become almost ignorant to to mm. black people mm. um but I, I i loved the points he was making in terms of black um democrat it's almost akin to black labor okay. why can't we why can't we actually um express our political views on each different picket line why can't we be why can't we consider other right so rather than considering blacks as this political monolith Mm. Yeah. So only supporting kind of like leftist ideology yeah. because we're we're made to seem to have benefited from welfare states. Mm-hmm. Why can't if you do actually have conservative ideals, you publicly voice those and not feel as if you're or, or not not be attacked mm. for yeah. voicing those? Issues I mean, publicly? yeah. I, and I, I mean, just just to basically, it's like saying, why don't we just be like the white people? When you look at white person, you don't necessarily imply. Labour, sorry, when America didn't necessarily apply Democrat or Republican, right? The white races well can be anywhere, mm. and it's saying why don't we get to that level where it can be anywhere as well? Do you actually think that we have this ideological tribalism in the? I, mean, I don't want to use the term black community because that almost even right has a t- connotations in and of itself. Like the black community is already on this side of political, yeah. um, but basically, so you've mentioned black labour. Hmm. Is is there this kind of heavy? Yes. Yeah. I think so. Statistically, yes. I okay. Think if you think and of Blair on, in the nineties yeah. and how he went mm, for the black vote, mm, how America historically mm. the black vote is is all is almost the thing that if you win the black vote, yeah, you've got the the presidency. Um, I think especially if you become a Christian as well, and now you think oh most Christians are conservative, and now you're thinking about well black people are Democrats. Right. Who do I vote Actually, for? Actually, I think what, what's interesting about that is um, the last point you just made. In America, I don't know if it's the same for the UK. I think it partially is now. But in America, certainly, um, the black church has been, by and large, historically, theologically conservative mm-hmm. and politically liberal. liberal. Yeah. And right. they've actually kind of um, been okay with that juxtaposition, which is not the same for white christianity and um politics and i think it's kind of the same with the uk actually because i look at i'm thinking and i need to consider other um denominations but i'm thinking for the pentecostal um group and demographic Mm. um by and large they vote labor and i think most would if you were to quiz them on theological points would be theologically conservative Mm. um and so it kind of, I think, I safely say it's the same in the UK as well. Yeah. Um, so. do, do you think that's a generational thing now? Because I wonder if, certainly some people will probably argue that if the black church has been historically conservative mm-hmm. and politically left, that might be changing with younger generations who 
might be perceived to be traveling more towards a do I say middle ground on their politics and as such with that the argument I don't necessarily say the argument the accusation is mm. is that their theology is becoming more liberal uh, yes I think as a general trend theology is becoming more liberal um, I think it's particularly <laughs> <laughs> I think it's particularly acute in the black community because of um, the change in context okay. so the the questions that were so you think of I guess as a timely one you think of you know the Windrush generation and more broadly um, all the uh, migrants who came in from Commonwealth countries not just the Caribbean but Africa West Africa India and so on and those who were Christians who came were very much you know conservative theologically and you look at their children and their grandchildren now um, because the context has changed it's meant that the questions they're asking and answering are very different mm. um, which has led to different consequences uh so, yeah, I would say the shift is occurring. Yeah, I think it's hard. It's hard for um, to kind of agree totally with Kanye because his endorsement of Trump or his support of Trump almost like validates Trump as a person, which is mm. we all have issues with Trump as a character, and then his policies as well. And for a black person in America, you're thinking, how could you, how could you support his policies, and how can you actually support him as a person? So it's like, why do you, why are you supporting this guy because he's your friend or? So, okay, I'm going to try and divorce what I actually think Kanye is doing. I actually just think Kanye is doing this ahead of a big album, album push. Push, promo yeah. push. He's got like five or six artists under him also releasing music come June. And so he just thought, listen, I, I think this is, this is just mass marketing. Not entirely, but people know that controversy sells, particularly mm. in this day and age. The yes. hysteria that can be generated on mm. social media can mm-hmm. carry any project or thing that you're doing miles further than your standard kind of album listening party yada 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 yada. Mm -hmm. so I actually think that played a part in Kanye's philosophy the second point I kind of want to touch on is this point about supporting Trump his ideologies personhood and whether it's time for people to actually start trying to make some differentiation between um America progressing, for example, economically, because it's doing quite well mm, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can't be denied. Mm. Trump will have you believe this is all because of his kind of economic right. policy. Whereas I think there are things that are a bit more longstanding, yeah, but he yeah, certainly helped yeah. to improve. Yeah. And a recent example is the South Korean president coming out and saying Donald Trump helped to improve communications between themselves, the South Korean people, and North Korea. Mm. Yeah. So the South Korean president and Kim Jong-un. And... I don't necessarily know that it was Donald Trump that brokered those deals, but for the South American president to publicly state that he helped in those kind of conversations, I wonder if it's time that we don't necessarily discard, because we can't. I think so many of the things that Donald Trump ran his presidential campaign on, so for example, the very um, gross immigration policies, um, the stuff that came out about how he spoke about women, all of those kind of things, I don't necessarily know that we can divorce that from his personhood, but can we say, okay, I don't like Donald Trump as a person, but as a president, is he doing well for this country? Is he serving the wider interests of the world? I think when he was elected, I think for a lot of Christians were very much, he's our president, this is God's will, 
let's pray for him let's hope he prospers and let's hope he doesn't do anything to mm. <laughs> destroy the world and the church and i think from that perspective then you could take some positives in sense yeah of he has done some things that could be noted as positive and good also oh, this just this thought just came to mind i wonder how many this is a genuine question when we're exhorted to pray for our leaders yeah rulers of our nations governments and all those kind of things I wonder how many people genuinely who are in opposition to Donald Trump's presidency really invest the time in prayer. Um, Can we be honest with ourselves and say that? Okay, in this room. Right. I can't speak generally. He's not my president. So he's not your president. Theresa May. He's not your president or prime minister, but... I get what I you think, mean. You know, I, you know, I, think, I think... I don't think that many people who are in opposition to Trump actually pray for him in a meaningful way mm. not just pray for him to be kicked out because <laughs> yeah. I know some people yeah. like I do pray for him I pray that he goes <laughs> right <laughs> that's not what which is about. not actually praying for yeah. his yeah, tenure but I think yeah. that's probably more to do with just the lack of prayer in and of itself right because I don't think any Christian if we were pressed in terms of praying for the, pre- the president prime minister whoever is in charge would be in opposition to it because mm. i think the christian understands even even if we hold our politics so dear we understand it can't be our god mm. and so i but i just think there's a there's a in the church in the in the 21st century this is the 21st century it is, this is yes yeah. yeah. wow <laughs> <laughs> go on you were saying um i just think there's a lack of prayer as a whole more generally yeah okay. which, we'll, we'll have to revisit that maybe we'll do yeah. a, a, a podcast wow. specifically on prayer so we can convict all of you that would be a guilty shout, sinners you know. and ourselves actually is what we're speak for yourself I'm a Pharisee <laughs> prayer warrior oh he says a Pharisee <laughs> tried, it. tried it anyway ah, so also yourself, while I was sorry, away guys. I'm going to turn to Mary right now I'm going to turn to Mary while I was away <laughs> while I was away because I really want to hear Mary's thoughts on this here we go um, I actually know you're going to say this you know where we're going you know where we're going <laughs> Shout out Storms, man. Oh, and, uh, okay. <laughs> and um, his dearly beloved Maya Jama. So while I was at, and I think it was while I was in Toronto anyway, um, some old tweets resurfaced mm-hmm. from Maya Jama's Twitter account. And she was there talking about, I can't use the yeah, terminology, but basically, she was basically talking about dark-skinned black women who cut their hair wanting to look like Amber Rose but in actuality end up looking like Michael Jordan and Twitter went off hmm. absolutely went off sorry I shouldn't say that Twitter is like my main news source it's quickly becoming mind I'm kind of scared like yeah. but um, Twitter went off mm-hmm. and so much of the reaction poured out from um, black women who felt that there's a long-standing history of colorism, mm-hmm. um, particularly in celebrity circles. Of course. Um, and Mary, we're going to do that kind of a young girl. Kind of, how did that make you feel? <laughs> You're actually As a dark-skinned serious. black woman. Talk to me. Talk, Talk to skin. Israel. Melanin puppet. <laughs> mm. um, no, when I first read the tweets, because mm. I, I, I came onto it late, so I read the tweets and mm. people was like, oh, you know, Maya Jama's cancelled. And there's been a long line of people just visiting people's old tweets so i was thinking oh this is just another kind of statement yeah um, and then people were like oh come on guys it was six years ago she was maybe 17 like you know and what, what did you do when you were 17 i was like but the statement she made is still not it's still problematic it's still 
concerning that she had that view. And of course, people say, oh, she's retweeting. She's just laughing at a, a joke that was made. But it does highlight the, the, the reality of, of, of colorism in this country. Um, the idea that dark-skinned women especially, I think dark-skinned men too, but dark-skinned, men especially, dark-skinned women especially are always targeted, are always ridiculed, are always denigrated, always made, you know, they're not seen as attractive. They're not seen as, as intelligent. There's this whole idea that, that um they're aggressive, they're manly. You know, you think of the whole um Serena Williams. You even think of Casta Semenya. Mm. All these all these kind of statements that are always targeted to black women. Um, so when I read it, it was especially from Maya Jama, who's who's um I think she's half Somali, half I may be incorrect, but she's she's not dark skinned Um, and again, it was just it just pinpointed an issue that I think we have in our society where dark skinned women are the first to be ridiculed. Mm. Um. And it was just like, okay, she said it six years ago and she, she she probably doesn't believe it now, but even her believing it six years ago. And, and you know that there's people who believe these things now. You think of the comics, you think of what people say. I think I watched a video a couple of weeks ago where they kind of panel these 17, 18 year old boys and they were like, oh, who? I saw that. And they were like, yeah, lighties, man. No, no, no dead black things. Like, right, no. Yeah, I and it's just thinking raw, like these are the views of impressionable young boys you think of how that affects uh, a woman in terms of her self-esteem to herself. Yeah. Right, now right. you're thinking you're not you're not beautiful anymore. You're not made in the law's image. And it's just, huh, it's concerning, but it wasn't surprising. I didn't think, oh, oh no. It's just a long line of right of things that happen towards dark-skinned women. Israel, what, what about you? What's been your experience of colorism in this country? Um, It's always been there. I, but I feel like we've always... I'm not sure how um much has taken up... uh public discussion but I know that at least it's always been an elephant in the room for the black community um, growing up it was always um, everyone goes for the lighty mm-hmm. that kind of thing um, do you mean in school yeah right. yeah secondary school sixth form the rest of that uh, and so hearing those comments it it just at least for me hearing them and, and looking at them it's it was like a one one incident along a long stream of many other like it so it didn't mm-hmm. stand out as some particularly unique event that really right. happens um so, but i i think what was interesting for me was not so much because i don't really uh, take this wrongly or rightly i don't really like the fact that it was dug up okay because i mean how many years ago was it you said five or six i think it was 2012 wasn't it so six oh, years okay. ago oh, no, no, yeah. yeah and I, I just thought who really went that back and but like like you said it was still said you should still be so what i thought so what i think (laughs) so what i think should be taken away from it is not um a personal attack on her and sort of calling her to account but using it as a means by which we highlight a problem that still persists Mm -hmm. because i think more than trying to make her apologize we should be trying to say this is still persisting in our community and looking forward how are we going to change the general perception in our community because with regards to her who really knows where she stands now she very well may have never changed her views over from 2012 to now and she very well may have changed it her apology doesn't actually tell us much because well, she was gonna apologize I, 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 I mean it'd be pretty hard for her no shade honestly yeah it'd be pretty hard for her to maintain those views and be with fair. a very dark, dark chocolate skin. black man fair. Yeah. in Stormzy um, Stormzy's dark <laughs> but I, I I think what what really should yeah what really should be taken away from it is is addressing it in the community as a whole as opposed to addressing it with her so we shouldn't be satisfied with her apology and saying okay we've dealt with it in her case 
now we can go back to our lives right it's saying that's just one incident she's given a statement whatever we take from it we take from it however this issue still occurs in our community how are we going to deal with it in our community mm. i even think wider than i know a lot of asian communities fear is seen as, as the most attractive like mm. so it's not just within the black community it impacts the asian community as yeah. well you just think wow like it's just i don't know where colorism has come from but it's it's it definitely is does still reside in our community or in our country where dark is almost seen as black is seen as whack and light is mm. seen as white as right and it's like mm. how do we fix that what do you think Dan? How, how should we fix colorism yeah how do we correct it mm. must be like a, a correct view of what we need is image a, bearers is a government program <laughs> <laughs> no uh, well um, i think that's that's the first thing that we need to do is to reiterate that all people are made in the image of God mm. and so have the dignity uh, imbued with that same sense of uh, beauty because they are divine image bearers. Um, I think there also needs to be a historical appreciation of why perhaps some skin complexions are preferred to others. Is that white supremacy? Not necessarily. <laughs> that wasn't the line I was going down. But I think there is, there is a... Um, historical connection between um why for example if you could take it back to slavery um light-skinned babies who would have been say appreciated more by a white slave master because they had raped or pillaged a black women's community um in comparison to a dark-skinned baby who was just a child of two slaves so there has to be an historical appreciation but there also just needs to be better scientific understanding as well so, I'm, I'm not a science teacher. I'm going to kind of throw this back to Israel. Hopefully he knows <laughs> why melanin is different and stuff. But so that there's no kind of superiority complex in anybody's mind, and mm -hmm. this is more generally on skin colour, if people appreciate why our skin is the colour that it is from a scientific perspective, I think it helps them to appreciate that whatever kind of puffed up ideology I have about me being from this particular race or that particular race, it deadens it. Mm -hmm. I'm literally this way because this is how my body reacted to skin in some kind of to sun in some kind of way. It's, I mean, darkness is or skin tone is just uh, variations in amount of melanin. Right. So more makes you darker, less makes you lighter, literally. and that's and that's it. So it's just yeah, per percentages I guess really, um, and that's yeah, so it, it at its scientific level it's just once you realize that you're like well that's that's so ba not basic the right word. It's just a, oh, you have more melanin than the other person. That's all. Mm. Um, nothing else to do with um, character content, uh, emotional well-being, all the rest of that. Um, and I do appreciate. I, I think on top of on top of uh, making people aware of the history and the science, um, I think representation is going to be an important one. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. Because I know I now I'm saying this anecdotally and my memory is quite faded. So I might be somewhat wrong in this and you guys can tell me if your experiences were different. But I know growing up, um, when you watched things like Channel U I <laughs> we're going all wow. the way back. All <laughs> the way U. back. Channel AK. Shout out to them. If you don't know about Channel U, you're way too young. Um, <laughs> yeah, you are way But you should still be listening to this podcast. <laughs> yes. Um like just the sort of like the people that were using the backup songs. So the the 
the video, people in the background yeah in the videos the video girls yeah were basically just mixed race girls all around right um, and so that gave a perception as I, as, I, as I mentioned previously in terms of what I would hear in school mm. about all, always going for the lighties part of that was well that's so who yeah that's who I'm mm. seeing that the the guys I look up to go to yeah. when they're in their videos talking about I'm gonna make you my wifey yeah. all that you know that that's who they went to so surely yeah. I'm I just want a tiny tempo wifey rhythm I, I was thinking about that, that I, I wasn't I wasn't sure if I should <laughs> name this. So, but you did it not me so we good uh, but things like that yeah, because yeah, literally yeah. you're looking you're looking up to him and you're thinking that's his wifey yeah. who do I want for my wifey right. something like that right. um, someone like that so, yeah wow. even when you um, tired. yes someone like that I think sorry. representation does matter because of course Black Panther Wakanda forever but a lot of people have said it's cultural significance is the fact that the women in the film mm. are dark skin yes that was important um, you know just yes. natural hair yeah. yeah dark skin melanin popping killing it and, and what that means for a lot of people watching the film is that their, their idea of beauty is completely redefined um, if you're someone that you think oh mm. to be a certain skin tone or yeah. to be a certain weight or to be a certain height is what beauty yeah. is and then you watch this film you're thinking oh okay cool and I remember people even saying stuff like oh my daughter watched this film and said oh she's so beautiful and now she's being impacted and it's just little mm. things like that that I think could go a long way right I was going to ask you like this is not me trying to play devil's advocate <laughs> should it matter to you as a Christian yeah just more broadly mm-hmm. about colorism I mean, in the grand scheme of things, what, not necessarily how does it impact you, but should it be a concern for you when, for example, a six-year-old tweet is dug up about dark-skinned women and you're a dark-skinned woman, but your sins are forgiven. You have the righteousness of Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, look it's one of those things where um, it needs to be considered as a genuine issue that affects people mm. so which means that if i'm a i want to use this example the one that comes to my mind i know there's other cases if i'm a pastor yeah. of a church and a woman comes up to me talking about um her struggles in terms of um self-esteem or um self-image all those issues yeah. broadly um and they mentioned that I, I it wouldn't be sufficient for me to say well you're um just think about your union with Christ. Get over it. Tell them. Um, although I, I have to, I have to say that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But what I have to do is I have to factor in an issue like colorism and say, okay, here's how the gospel addresses colorism, as right. opposed to saying that's not really an issue now. Okay. Um, because there, yeah, because yeah. there has been some sort of again, there's a scale. Yeah. So I'm using this word cautiously, but there's been some sort of trauma. Yeah. On 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 the lower end. So I don't want to try and you know, bring every type of trauma into one bag. Yeah. But there has been some sort of impact and trauma because of these experiences which have to be addressed. And so things like that, mm. I think that's where it's going to come into play on an individual level more so. Mm. Um, as a Christian, you're thinking, okay, how is this relevant to Christianity? Things like that, it doesn't matter. It shows yeah. that you are concerned and that the you're concerned about the person's entire being, every aspect of it. And you're actually affirming the biblical idea that the entire being of a human matters to God mm. and therefore even their skin tone and their social relations and the impacts of the two does matter. Israel, has anyone ever told you to make a good pastor one day? 
to go past it's hard, doesn't it? Past all care. Trying to set me up. <laughs> <laughs> Mary, did you have anything else out of that? Not really. No, not I think really. I think there is a sense of people should. I think people should be held accountable for mm. what they mm. say. But I think there's a sense in which the 17 year old Maya Jam or the 18 year old yeah. Maya Jam is not the same person. It's yeah. not the same 24 year old. So of course, you still want to. The 17 year old Mary is not the same. Of course not. Yeah. And I think you mm. should. I I've probably said things. Well, I haven't. I was always. <laughs> but there's, there's things that. Yeah. That, you know, Israel and Dami have said, "Well, we're problematic." Seventeen. I, yeah. I was speaking to someone yesterday. That's I, you know, I, I was speaking to someone yeah. yesterday, and they were like, they checked some things from back in the day on their Twitter. I won't lie. I won't lie. I think uh, during the Trump election, yeah. sorry, well, the election yeah. when Trump was Campaign. elected, um, I actually went back to my Twitter and I did a few deletes. No, I, mean, I always say when I blow, just delete. And also, <laughs> and also, um, I I remembered that's crazy Obama's words where he said, you know. He was. He's so glad that he was born in a time when everything he did as a child wasn't recorded forever. Because right. he was, and he was saying this to a group of uh, college kids, especially because um, I can't remember who, but it was like a CEO whose life in college was exposed in terms of like their just the church's behavior, and he was commenting on that and saying, "Listen, be careful." Like, and yeah. this, this is a word, I guess, for anyone who's young who's listening to this. Be careful what you post it stays yeah even mm. once it's deleted you don't know who screenshotted that like yeah. Yeah. snapchat might tell you someone screenshot it twitter will not yeah and that's how they will hold it and keep it and, and digital footprints yeah. Yeah. yeah so and that's and that's a real issue because you those who are in secondary school now in sixth form yeah. they won't really feel it now yeah until they're about to run for counselor you know, yeah. in their local council, and all of a sudden, or your lo- or your training contract gets con- cancelled because mm. of WhatsApp. Hmm. Or to be honest, um, or the Exeter Law Society. <gasps> why don't tell your mum why your training contract? But got I guess canceled. even on a more serious note, I remember I can't remember who who it was that put it this way, but when the Lord warns us that we'll be held account for every idle hmm. word, mm. every tweet, every tweet, hmm. every Facebook hmm. post, every WhatsApp, status. Every WhatsApp status. status. Twitter's got good theology. <laughs> wow. But like, it's a, it's a real thing yeah, to be cautious yeah, yeah. of. Um, I mean, perhaps we can speak with hindsight and say, you know, we said some very atrocious things, but even just now when we're just thinking about hmm. our quote unquote daily streams of consciousness and our social media, hmm. we have to be very wary of the stuff that we're posting because ultimately we'll be held accountable for those things. Um, when we face the Lord but there was one other question I wanted to ask just before we move on from this and it was about um, her apology because rather than apologising to black women specifically my Jammer said you guys are laughing already um, my Jammer said I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't just like to apologise to dark skin women in particular I'd like to apologise to all women and Mary doesn't even look at me right now because <laughs> The contempt. That apology, I was, I was really like, I, I read, the, I saw the thing, and I said, okay, she's like, it was six years ago. She was just laughing at it. People, I've seen everyone laugh at jokes like that. And then I read the apology. I was like, no, baby girl, please. Hmm. Like, I don't, I don't know why we, why did you, why do you tell us how we should be apologizing? Like, why are you now telling us how we should feel? I'm not apologizing to dark skin women. Apologizing to all women. Well, but you've just you offended mm. black women, right, so you right. should apologize directly to them. Yeah. Don't make this now a, a big kind of PR stunt where you want to empower women. You wasn't empowering black women six years ago when you made that statement. So apologize, and she realized that because she she did yeah. another statement. But yeah. I just I think a lot of times when people um release these statements, it has to be, just just show your repentance, say you're sorry, and you'll change and move on. I'm gonna borrow something from my Presbyterian friend here. 
So have you ever looked at the Westminster Confession? Hey, chapter 15. Westminster Confession of Faith. Get it, read it, <laughs> memorize it. Be transformed <laughs> by the goodness. We're not, we're not gonna have this <laughs> full blown <laughs> debate here. That first but, question is sick, though. Um, that is it. One of the things that uh, I think it's chapter fifteen, part five, um, when it's talking about repentance unto life. Mm-hmm. Men ought not to content themselves with a general repentance, but it is every man's duty to endeavor to repent of his particular sins, mm-hmm. particularly. Hmm. Talk that. Hmm. Let that be a word. That whenever, for example, you offended somebody or a group of people. Be mindful to repent or apologize to those individuals who are particularly affected as opposed to just some kind of general yeah just throw it out there kind of thing whoever catches it it catches mm-hmm. but actually you don't deal with the issue that you caused because of your this is the sin. thing this is and this is one of one of the things i try to communicate to anyone i'm speaking to because this, this applies obviously like like already mentioned it applies to um the whole race discussions that's been happening about all lives matter, black lives matter, and the rest of that. Mm-hmm. One of the things I try to, uh, one of the examples I use is that we actually use this across the board when it comes to one-to-one relationships. So for example, in marriages, you, when you go to marriage counseling, you will hear things like, if, you know, um, your wife is upset about something, mench, apologize for the particular thing you did. Don't just say, sorry. <laughs> because the immediate response you're going to get is, for what are you sorry for? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Particulars. And, so we, we 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 are we understand the idea of it yeah then the pro- problem is and i guess in her case as well was that applying it to every context yeah. it's not just for your romantic relationships and one-on-one fam- familial relationships or friendships but it's for you know your social media actions yeah. and your politics be particular don't make it you know a broad statement that basically waters down the impact of what would have been a you know credible and legitimate apology mm. but i think it's unloving sorry because I, I think when um so when she issued the first apology when she issued the second apology people are like, oh, she's cancelled i was like it's unloving to see someone apologize and assume that it's not genuine mm. like, i think love hopes the best right so right, if right. someone's apologized and you, you can tell they've they mean it they're, they're, they're sincere of course we can't tell that over right. social media but you can assume but people are now saying no you're still cancelled you know, I hope you lose your job. Right. So that's so that's from the perspective of the people who are reading the apology. Yeah. Right. Okay. And I just think if someone's I just think if someone came up to me and they apologized for something, I don't walk away thinking, did she really mean it or she didn't mean it? Mm, right. There's nothing you know, more that can be done. Yeah. Be done. You can't you can't read their heart, and so you have to believe that it is like you said. You have to believe that it is the the truth. Hello. 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 It's Israel. Thank you for listening to the Black Berea podcast. We are so glad that you're here. Season three has begun with a bang and we are looking forward to all the coming episodes. But just a quick reminder, make sure that you like, share and comment on our releases on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Make sure that you share it with your friends and family. Rate and review us on iTunes. Check us out on SoundCloud and every social media outlet there we're also going to be releasing some new videos on the website soon www.blackberea.com also on youtube as well so make sure you check them out be looking out for them and share them with a friend you know have a group discussion about the videos and the content let us know your thoughts um, email us at blackberea at gmail.com and listen the first person to email us will get 10 pounds voucher 
from Domino's courtesy of Mer- of of Mary. That's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, cut. <laughs> That's actually a lie. <laughs> okay, and we're back. Um, so I think we should talk about Chimamanda and Gozi Adichie. Um, we've spoken about her in previous episodes, such as the Feminine Appeal. But she essentially had a sit down with Hillary Clinton. And this this is what she said. I just want to hear you guys' thoughts on it. So she said to Hillary Clinton, in your Twitter account, the first word that describes you is wife. And I think it's mum and then it's grandmother. And when I saw that, I have to confess, I felt just a little bit upset. And then I went to look at your husband's Twitter account and the first word was not husband. Um, and she had and she basically uh, spoke to Hillary Clinton and told her, I think the reason why you do this is because you're just trying to placate uh, I probably said that wrong. Placate all the men and women who will not vote for a woman unless they're seen, unless they see her in first in domestic terms. So, what do you guys think of what she said? Why is why, why is it wife first? I thought that why was can't too, it be? I thought that was too much thought policing. Uh uh-uh. uh. Tactic mean, used to manipulate her free thought or. Connie's got it. I love that quote, um, by the way. I I I I, I was just I. I my my first thought was okay she wrote wife as the first thing we we obviously there is nothing to um to tell us as to her reasoning why hillary clinton and i i'm pretty sure about this i didn't actually do my historical research but i'm pretty sure hillary clinton is probably the most accomplished female politician in america to history quite possibly and and so when i when i heard the, the um chimamanda's comments i just thought to myself it's Hillary Clinton. I mean, but when, that's more reason for her. To when learn. when we hear Hillary Clinton, I don't think anyone has ever immediately thought wife. No, but as in the point being that if Hillary chooses mm. to put that first, mm. if Hillary chooses to put okay, that cool. first, I don't think she's trying to make a political move it could be seen as a because her politics her politics is such a dominant feature of who she is already that a twitter bio which is surely such a minute aspect of one's personal branding yeah hardly seems like a decided power play I mean, if you want to really make a power play, and Clinton can make a power play yeah, if she wants. But I think Chimamanda's comments was that is the fact that as as a woman, and you yeah. think of it, Hillary Clinton is a very successful woman. She ran for president. Mm-hmm. To a lot of people, she should have won the presidency. And she still has to say she's a wife first because the way society views her, if they view her as a presidential nominee first, as as all these successful successful things, then she's almost lost her. Isn't that womanhood. thinking too low of her? Isn't that assuming that she's still captive to the... Even in spite that's of... That's what Chimamanda suggested. But I don't feel like that's a nice assumption to make for someone who... But my point I, is that... My point is that if someone like Hillary Clinton is still captive to it, then... That's that's Chimamanda's point, though. I, I just... Because I just she's thought, essentially saying... You, I, I, you I, I get that. I get yeah, that. I just thought, like... Pa- you have I, to pander to the man. Yeah. I, which you do. I just pander to the patriarchy. You have to pander to patriarchy. So she has to say she's a woman first and to be a woman first means she has to be a wife and a mother first and a grandmother first as opposed to her being a successful woman just as successful as her husband. What does what does that mean then for men who start their Twitter bios with dad? And a lot of people did pointed that out. I'm pretty sure Barack Obama. Yeah. yeah, so a lot of people pointed Barack. out Barack Obama doing that and other politicians. Um, and and I, I imagine 
Tremanda will say, but he can do that because he has the freedom to go either way. <laughs> yeah. I imagine she would say Probably. something like that. I still do agree. I still do think that the Barack Obama thing is a point against what Chimamanda yeah, saying. No, but but I, I know what her response would but be. But I think Hillary, I think Chimamanda was contrasting it to Bills. Because I think, of course, Hillary's yeah. changed her bio now. But I think Bills one didn't even mention anything about him being a husband or a father. I think it was just something like founder of the Bill, uh, of Bill the, Clinton um, Foundation. Yeah. Found, so it was like, okay, your husband, who's on the same level as you in terms of his accomplishments of course he was a president well has doesn't okay level, arguably anyway he he hasn't he doesn't even you will even know if he's married if i want on his twitter account <laughs> meanwhile Hillary <laughs> has to tell us that she's a wife she's a mother she's a grandmother she does mm. gardening on the, on the weekend she cleans the kitchen sometimes <laughs> <Yo>. like <laughs> yeah yeah I, um hmm I just looked at Michelle Obama's uh, <laughs> uh, Twitter bio. What does Michelle say? And she starts with saying, girl from the South Side and former first lady, then wife, uh, mother, and, 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 and so on. Um, so maybe there's a sense of it being reversed when you contrast the two couples. So mm. Bill talks about achievements. Then we had Hillary talking about being a wife. Or Barack Obama talked about being a husband first. And then you have um, Michelle talking about being first lady before talking about being a wife mm. again I, it's, it's twitter bios like it was I, I think because it's twitter bios i felt like it just like twitter bios i know but i think like, this wasn't a speech that's, that's that she made of, of a greater issue like mm. so hillary of course I and mean, it's it's judging hearts because hillary probably right. thinks her her being a mother and a grandmother and a wife yeah. is is her greatest you know her greatest yeah. vocation but chimamanda is thinking why do you feel pressured to I, say those things first then listen. that assumes she felt pressured and that's i think that's part with, of the issue that's that, the issue with feminism yes because someone's I, I heard comments and i i think you're gonna say maybe not say, oh, let me i heard, say, I heard say. comments that saying isn't the whole idea of feminism that women are free to, to be do whatever they want to be so if yeah. she wants to why would you assume that her decision to pick wife first must be a result of some overarching patriarchy if your whole mission is to allow women to be free to go mm-hmm. whichever direction they want then just assume the best and say she freely chose to put wife out of no coercion in any shape or form i think feminism i think that's the issue i have with feminism i think feminism says that but then they on the other hand encourage a better option that they right. would, quote unquote they'll say yeah. so you guys can be free but no you say your wife that's the best option. Mm. like you know don't mm. do that mm. and I think Chimamanda's almost fell into that because she instead of her commending Hillary to be as free as she wants in terms of representing herself as a woman yeah. and knowing that as a woman you can be whoever you want to be she's now saying you can be whoever you want to be but state your accomplishments first as a mm. woman because that's better than being a wife yeah. and a mother and I think that's another issue I was just going to say, I think, in actually, when they were having the dialogue about why Hillary Clinton's, which it kind of, I'm now wondering why she changed it, but Hillary Clinton, in discussion with Chimamanda, was basically talking about the fact that she's somebody that values relationships, mm-hmm. and she does that alongside appreciating all these wonderful firsts and achievements that she's yeah. had, and so it's very plausible that she'd like a balance of both to be demonstrated in her public profile. Yeah. So I'm not just the almost first became the first almost the first woman president of the united states but i'm a wife i'm mm. a mother all of those kind of things and to her they have I, I don't know if i'd call it equal meaning but her relationships are as important to her as her achievements mm-hmm. and in a very real sense i think that's something that should be celebrated yeah um because she sees herself i guess in a wider context of a larger group of people not just 
I, 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 this is what I have achieved. Mm. But, you know, these are, it's an accomplishment to be a, mm. a, a, a wife and mother as well. Yeah, um, it and it's a very noble thing to be. So I don't think Shimamanda should be trying to shout her down. Yeah. I, was, I, I remember reading um, an article, I can't remember what it was, but it was basically um, contrasting the way that the questions that people ask Theresa May in contrast to David Cameron. Right. And obviously she gets a lot more questions about her being a wife and, and balancing her career and her home life and her husband. And David Cameron was really asked about being a father, being a husband, house home what do you do on the weekends with your kids he did get a lot of flat for, get, for getting his child at the yeah party. of course <laughs> yeah but of course I if Theresa May did if Theresa really May doesn't fair, have any children right. but if, uh, yeah it you been know what I mean and more, I think yeah, people yeah, again yeah, were fair. saying that a woman in a position in right. a successful position is almost is always constantly reminded of her first order and I'm I, aside from what I personally think and, and that's an issue in our society that, that we, is an issue that we first define a woman especially when we see her as in a, in a successful um, in a role that's, that's very kind of powerful we yeah. say okay actually let's, let's bring her back to size because you know remember you're a, you're a woman so mm. you think of your home first um, but then arguably I mean the way Chimamanda um, created the sort of dichotomy between being defined by your achievements as opposed to your relationships and, and so on almost felt like she had been listening to Tim Keller Um there is. There we go. Is, I knew yeah, you were going to bring. No podcast goes. But by no, honestly, honestly, mentioned. Listen, <laughs> like I was, I was like, wow, you really set yourself up to be um, responded to by Tim Clark. Because I remember Tim Clark in a sermon. So, I, and I'm saying his name because I don't want to steal credit. I don't want to make you think that Israel thought this up. I really <laughs> didn't. But he, 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 he gave an um, an analogy of when he was speaking to a woman, a lawyer in Manhattan that goes to his church, and. She was talking to him about her recent conversion and becoming a Christian and all the hurdles she's faced. And one of the things she talked about was when she was in work, um, there was a guy who was telling her, you know, why is it that you're so involved with relationships and that you don't do all these extra hours that you, you know, do flexy hours and stay at home? You know, then you want to be free. Basically telling, he was telling her, be more, you know, feminist in terms of your philosophy go out there achieve like don't feel like you have to basically like maybe a more blown up version of what Jimmy was doing don't feel like you have to define yourself by a wife and all this stuff go out there achieve and she said so let me get this right you're telling me I'm making an idol of my relationships in terms of my family and letting that suppress me but you want me to get rid of that idol to make an idol of my achievements and basically have that define me so that when I lose my job I can then be crushed because I've made my work, my idol. Um, so you basically want me to swap idols is what you're telling me to do. And and he made and obviously Tim's point in the sermon was both are idols. Yeah. The Christian or alternative isn't we're gonna side with one or the other. For men and for women, whichever one you pick, you're picking an idol. If a woman has geared all her life around being a mother, a wife, a sister and and so on. When the family goes or when the child doesn't, you know, reach where you wanted them to be, if when the husband turns out to be some sort of like mess or something other than your vision, that's going to crush you. If your idol is your achievement that we're saying, for example, is something that men go for, when your job fires you, when you lose your salary, when you become a disgrace, that's going to crush you as well. Mm. Either way, I think the Christian picture would take almost a third way and saying both are good and both should be valued in terms of the creational position 
But ultimately, your life is hid with Christ in God, mm. apart from either one or two, which means whether they come or go, who you are as a person is rooted in, in Christ. And that way, you're free to actually be more truly a wife, mother, and more truly a successful business person, politician, and the rest of that. That was that. dope. That was actually dope. So, 22nd of April, 2018, was the 25th anniversary of Stephen Lawrence's murder. Mm-hmm. Um, and BBC released a really good three-part documentary on the case, the trial and the conviction, and almost the aftermath and the impact that it had on UK. So, I, I think the documentary was called The Murder That Changed the Nation. Yeah. Um, and, and from that was a lot of things around, you know, the McPherson a report, which was uh, where uh, the police was... Uh, labeled institutionally racist and just the uproar of you know the daily mail labeling them as murderers and just people's thoughts around uh Stephen Lawrence and what that meant for the UK and and racism um so yeah what did you guys any of you see the documentary what did you think about it what was your thoughts generally uh I mean just personally it was quite surreal watching it because I grew up in the area uh not to bay out where I live too much. Um, even though you have I, an idea now. Yeah. yeah. Ish. You've already got like a five mile radius. Um, but I like literally, I went to the same athletics club as him. Like that was my athletics club. The Cambridge up. areas. Yeah. Wow. I, I, no, I'm not wearing it. Well, yesterday. I, I was going to try. Anyway, that failed. Um, yeah, like literally, t- I took the 122 from um, Woolwich to the Sutcliffe Park where we trained like, three times a week um so seeing the documentary and seeing the, the the tapes of the road wellhole road just brought back so many memories and one of the things that it did bring bring back in terms of memories was the fact that there was an awareness in the community of racial tension as a child i don't think i was i, I was as aware of it as i should have been or i could have been but even growing up in secondary school it was there to see so i remember i don't know if the if the gang still exists or if the name has changed but there used to be um basically a white gang called red alert that everyone was like watch out for red alert you know if you're going to Wellin, well Wellin was that spot that you don't really want to go to as a black person in the night because they are just gonna do reckless things um again i don't really hang around there i don't know how much has changed from that but it brought back all those memories of just kids holding themselves accountable to be streetwise um, in certain areas, yeah, yeah, because you knew, okay, there was some sort of tension going on in in Elton or in other parts that you don't really want to mess around with. So stick with the Thames, Thamesmead, Woolwich, these areas which are more predominantly black as opposed to going down the Bexley side and the Elton side um, just to be safe. So it brought back all those memories which was kind of, you know, uh, you know it's one of those moments where you look back and you become more aware of your experiences that you were previously blind to you're like oh wow it was mm. oh, that's kind of it's kind of deep but yeah yeah for, so for me when the documentary was first aired um, I was away but I'd seen the outpour of emotion mm. um, online and I'm in one of my group chats like one of the boys that posted it or just let everybody know that the documentary was showing um, was talking about how he's almost brought to tears by mm. yeah. the grave injustice that uh, was the murder of Stephen Lawrence by um, a racially motivated group of white men. Um, and interestingly enough, 
I watched it all three parts of the documentary series on Friday and then was driving through the area on Saturday. So I didn't necessarily go down Wellhall Road, but it kind of dawned on me on, oh, I'm in the area in which um, Stephen Lawrence died. Um, in terms of, I don't necessarily have the same experience because Israel lived there a lot closer geographically, but certainly I know of the racial tensions that existed in that area through friends who lived um, in that side. So I have close family friends that live in a kind of like Crayford, um, Arif kind of areas, which isn't too far from those sides. And um, I guess growing up, I'd heard of things like NF, National Front mm. kind of stuff, um, who you actually hear spoken about in the documentary alongside political groups like the BNP and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess maybe in Britain's climate today of, I don't know if I'll go as far as saying racial hostility, maybe I'll go as far as saying racial hostility because I think um, the Brexit vote has really exposed yeah. some yeah. of the ingrained prejudices, yeah. prejudices that exist um, between ethnic groups in this country. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the documentary was a very powerful look at the implications of racism um, at that time and what if we're not careful with some of the rhetoric that we hear mm. um, on a daily basis in this country, we could find ourselves returning to, uh, which is quite a scary thought. Yeah. yeah. Which is quite a scary thought. Yeah. And um, I'm going to make an assumption here that some people might be listening to this and think, but this is not America, you know, the UK doesn't have as big a race issue. I think this is overblown. We're really saddened by the loss of a of a young man like Stephen Lawrence. But are we not just like overblowing this? Mm. And the point uh, and in response to that, anticipating a, a thought like that is we have to we have what we have to keep in mind is that this an action like this tragic in and of itself apart from any wider context actually exposes a bigger cancer it is almost like literally if someone has a brain cancer and they're unaware of it and then they have a blackout the blackout can be treated and resolved but what it points to is a bigger issue that underlying issue that needs to be addressed so it's not to try and make it seem like a save there's some mini genocide occurring in the UK where black people are being slaughtered all over the place. Mm. But it's saying his death spoke to a bigger issue that the society as a whole was basically trying to overlook. Mm. And, you know, given um, his family justice, what we also need to do is to, from this, talk about the wider community issues that allowed something like this to occur and to, and to exist and most likely to even continue into the present day. Um, and I think that's, you know, it was in the documentary as well, talking about the fact that it exposed so much between um, the black community and the police, for example, in terms of relationships. Mm. It exposed so much in terms of trust in the government. Um, the whole, and again, this is probably more pertinent right now, especially because of the Windrush um, controversy. You had, you know, people who came from the Caribbean to look um to work hard and to contribute to society give their hearts to the to to this country and then to get back from this country you know spit and um hostility and that whole dynamic is what's been unfolding because of this um it's not just okay it's not to say the death 
isn't important. Of course it did, and, and that was a shot. But it's that with the oh, other issues context. that are yeah that are exposed. That's why it's become such a um, talking point in terms of race relations in the UK, um, and even why you know rightly done by Theresa May that um, if I'm correct saying you know April the twenty second was made um, Stephen Lawrence Day. Yeah, so it's a day of commemoration. Yeah, that will be observed yeah. Moving forward, yeah. Because it's pointing to a wider issue that we need to address for the well being of the people of the United Kingdom. Mm. And I think. So one of the things when you're just talking about some of the issues that unfold in the documentary was how relations are between Black Britons and the police. So in mm. the instance of Stephen Lawrence's murder, it was the Metropolitan Police Service, which is the police service that um, serves London. Yeah. Um, but more generally, just how Black people in that area, and I guess more broadly across the UK, view the police. Mm. and um, they interviewed a group of boys who lived in Stephen Lawrence's area um, in 1993 or 1994 and just asked them, you know, um, <clears throat> what do you think about the police? Because the Metropolitan Police Commissioner at the time, uh, I think his surname was Condon or something like that, came out and basically said, um, one of the ways in which we can improve the trust, we can improve the barriers that exist between us is by having more black people join the Metropolitan Police Force. Mm. And when the news presenter posed that to those young boys, they laughed him to, or her to scorn. Mm. And despite the progress that has been made in terms of race relations in the UK since that time, I'm not convinced that if that same question was posed to a group of young black men on the street today, today, mm you'd get a different response. Yeah. I had a very brief conversation with some brothers and sisters at church yesterday just about what their own personal um, encounters have been with police, um, shared some of my own experiences. And um, I think, and I'm speaking very generally here, so, I mean, if you have a completely different view, please mm-hmm. comment, respond to this. I think there still exists on a, quite a large scale and a mistrust or um, you know just an aversion um, to to the police because I'll use an example of some of the argumentation I've heard with the um, the knife crime that we've seen recently the knife crime epidemic is hugely problematic Mm. and a number of people have come out and basically said, I don't necessarily argue this to be the case, but a number of people have come out and said, one of the reasons why this knife crime epidemic is continuing as it is, is because they feel that, particularly from the police services, they're not seeing this as big an issue as it is. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? So because of the the relationship that exists between the black community and police services in the UK. Black people are not really being seen as victims. Mm. And so more of the calls are for the black community to sort themselves out, out yeah. rather than the police who are there to protect and serve um, these young black boys who unfortunately are, are falling victim to, the, to, to murder. Um, going into those communities and helping to address whatever it is, those tensions between rival gangs all of those kind of things 
the black community is almost being told you're left to your own devices on this one sort out your issues with fatherlessness mm-hmm. sort out your issues with drugs sort out your issues with unemployment and uh, we'll almost just exist as another island just to you know see that everything's going okay mm-hmm. without actually delving deep into those communities um, so I think from that perspective there is still a um, yeah, general mistrust of the police and black communities I'm not anti-police mm-hmm. but I couldn't say that I'm pro-police and that's because of the issues that I've had with the police um, in my own experience both as yeah. a victim of crime I was <laughs> I'm gonna say both. I'm not a perpetrator of crime. That's what? Perpetrator. Just as a as a victim. Yeah, as a victim of crime. We all have a passion. Yeah. <laughs> as a victim of crime, but also as a suspect of crime. Mm. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, I've been on the receiving end of some, yeah, quite horrific incidents with the police and just by criminals, right? And um, you're kind of in a catch twenty two situation. Mm. You feel that. As a victim of crime, I don't feel supported. Mm. You know, as a suspect of crime, you know, I feel offended. I feel yeah. prejudged, mischaracterized. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So you kind of, in one sense, you're looking at the situation and you're saying, how can I ever really come to appreciate these people as doing what it is that it says on the tin, do you know what mm. I mean? As actually serving and protecting me as a young black man in London. Yeah. Um, and I think if that's the, and that's certainly the impression I got from the conversation I had with some people yesterday, that if you have that perspective on the police force, really how can we then move from this situation of mistrust to real engagement, strong local ties and it's a genuine question that people are asking because Mm. it has real life implications for example so the knife crime epidemic that we're seeing if it's even that um how how can we improve those relationships to make sure that there is a better um understanding between the police force and the black community in the uk so that we don't have stephen lawrence incident we don't have um that crime occurring on the scale that it's occurring more generally and so that black people can feel encouraged if mm. they wanted to to join mm. the police force mm. but i think that's a good way though if you if you if you felt like you didn't see any positive policing in your area then and you felt called to join yeah. the police force and would change it from the inside so you think out. that's that's one part of the solution i think that's one part of the solution i think another part of the solution is actually um realizing that not all police are the same of course there yeah. is in the documentary they did seem to be a, a culture of prejudice mm. and and bias within the within the police force towards yeah. black people but one of the men that broke the case was a mm. white man was mm. was just a, a good who, yeah a good police officer who honestly yeah. wanted to see those perpetrators yeah. dedicated to just yeah. solving crime yeah. and bringing people to justice um and i think even even if we, we we see a police force and think okay there's no this there's, there's so much distrust I can't trust any of them mm. they're probably against me they they assume I'm a, a, a stereotype and I'm a stereotype and a hoodie or whatever um, they must be some good men in the police force who are doing good yeah. and want to change it and, and if, if that comes from the commissioner if that comes from just the 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 um, the police officer you see who's just walking the streets they must be someone 
that's so I, I think it's wrong because I, sometimes I get this impression from from black people that all black people we can't we can't trust any police so I'm just gonna disrespect police I've and I've seen some instances where you get pulled over by by a police officer and of course they, you assume that they 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 don't have any grounds to just stop me for any reason mm. but that doesn't mean you now should should speak to them in a manner that's disrespectful um in a manner in which you just want to you know you're 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 already trying to fight them already. Of course, I understand why. I'm Man, not, it's I'm frustrating. Not, yeah, it's very, very frustrating. I'm saying I'm out here yeah. like, bashing police and fighting them. But, <laughs> yo, it's very it's frustrating. frustrating, but they're, they're still in a position of authority and mm. they're, still so, they're still people you should respect. And generally, they are the good guys. It was funny. I was at a, I was at a conference last week. <laughs> uh, I was at a conference last week and I was speaking to this American guy. And he was like, yeah. So we must have said something like, oh, yeah, you know, an American police. And he was like, but the police are good guys. And we were just like, they are. <laughs> like, we, we actually just giggled. But... but there's a sense in which you know these people are here to protect and to serve the community yeah i guess um something i would add on top of that is uh on a long representation in terms of having people who are actually in the community and i think it's a past process as well where you get outsiders coming into communities they have no awareness of mm. and trying to um create a particular type of social arrangement which is very hard to do if you don't know the complexities that exist in the community to begin with. Mm-hmm. So not only does it, do we need representation in terms of black people and police and so on, but we need people who have been in the community, who understand the community, so that there's a level of trust and also um, a sufficient understanding to engage meaningfully. Um, but the other thing, um, which I think sometimes is overlooked, is the there's a lot of bureaucracy in, in, in the police force. Mm. So I don't think it's enough just to have somebody who's black, literally, as a police officer. You also have to challenge the structure of the police system because, and I, and I heard this a few times in the um, documentary, you often find police officers who will say, that's, the, that's how we have to operate. Mm. We have to follow these procedures. We have to follow these mechanisms. I literally don't agree with it, but I can't, I can't not do it, it. Yeah, yeah. because it's very, you know, very bureaucratic, very structured. This is the order from the top. You follow it. If you don't find another job, that's just how the system is. So you have to be able to look at that structure and say, how do you, how does the, the current structure of the police force, the way information is passed, the way things are processed, how does that implicitly or explicitly impact certain communities and how should it be reshaped in order to actually bring about justice in the most effective method that considers the complexities of different communities? And so that has to be done alongside the representation because you could get a black person in, but then they're just going to have to follow the procedure like the mm-hmm. white police officer and there'll be no effective change. And, and on that note, uh, I would say the most important thing that I took away from the documentary was that it's continuing the conversation that needs to be had um and the hope i the hope i have for london is that um as we continue to have these conversations and to see changes in um policies uh local governance that we can actually look back you know in another 25 years and see that you know real change has actually occurred as opposed to just continual talk of no action mm. come it's been a good conversation. I'm happy that yeah. I came back and I featured on the first one because <laughs> yeah, I know been a while. Told, I wouldn't have been a while. Mary will be asking Dummy me. Dummy Mike goes for another 25 <laughs> episodes. You know what I mean? I'm still in the faith in that. Anyway, <laughs> look out for winning wow, the Champions League because 
Mary's going to do something mad when Mo Salah <laughs> wow. when Mo Salah wins the Champions League. Wow, wow, wow. Gabby literally said, yeah, I'm going to renounce Christianity. Wow. And become so Muslim. Wait, we'll see. I don't trust Mary. Well, I do. But anyway, guys, it's been a good podcast, man. I'm happy Honestly, I came in. Yes. That was episode one. Yeah. Bye. you want to run for councillor oh no no actually on that note elections for local councils in london are on the 3rd of may so that's tomorrow uh, if you're listening today on the wednesday when the podcast episode is released if you're listening on friday shame on you shame on you we don't we don't need politics we've got a church oh that is such a span in the works don't do that <laughs> Um, but seriously, go out, make sure you look at who the councillors are up running for election. I know that, you know, when it comes to local council elections, there's a sort of like, I'm just going to pick whoever's on a particular party, but actually look at the councillors, look at the ones that are currently in their seats and if they've actually done anything. Because if they're not doing anything, they're getting paid over 10k a year for sitting down. That is not worth our money, okay? We pay too much in taxes to have someone sit down in the centre just to do nothing. So make sure you make sure you actually pay attention to who's running.